Chapter Fifteen, Part One of The Teeth of the Tiger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Teeth of the Tiger by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Fifteen, The Heir to the Hundred Millions. On the fourth evening after the tragic events related, an old cab driver, almost entirely hidden in a huge greatcoat, rang at Perena's door and sent up a letter to Don Luis. He was at once shown into the study on the first floor. Hardly taking time to throw off his greatcoat, he rushed at Don Luis. "'It's all up with you this time, chief,' he exclaimed. "'This is no moment for joking. Pack up your trunks and be off as quick as you can.' Don Luis, who sat quietly smoking in an easy-chair, answered, "'Which shall you have, Mazarou, a cigar or a cigarette?' Mazarou at once grew indignant. "'But look here, chief, don't you read the papers?' "'Worse luck.' "'In that case the situation must appear as clear to you as it does to me and everybody else.' During the last three days, since the double suicide, or rather the double murder of Marie Fauville and her cousin Gaston Sauverin, there hasn't been a newspaper but has said this kind of thing. And now that M. Fauville, his son, his wife, and his cousin Gaston Sauverin are dead, there's nothing standing between Don Luis Perena and the Mornington inheritance. Do you understand what that means? Of course people speak of the explosion on the boulevard Suchet, and of Fauville's posthumous revelations, and they are disgusted with that dirty brute of a Fauville, and they don't know how to praise your cleverness enough, but there is one fact that forms the main subject of every conversation and every discussion. Now that the three branches of the Roussel family are extinct, who remains? Don Luis Perena. In default of the natural heirs, who inherits the property? Don Luis Perena. Lucky dog! That's what people are saying, chief. They say that this series of murders and atrocities cannot be the effort of chance coincidences, but on the contrary points to the existence of an all-powerful will which began with the murder of Cosmo Mornington, and ended with the capture of the hundred millions. And to give a name to that will, they pitch on the nearest, that of the extraordinary, glorious, ill-famed, bewildering, mysterious, omnipotent, and ubiquitous person who was Cosmo Mornington's intimate friend, and who from the beginning has controlled events and pieced them together, accusing and acquitting people, getting them arrested and helping them to escape. They say, he went on hurriedly, that he manages the whole business and that if he works it in accordance with his interests, there are a hundred millions waiting for him at the finish and this person is don luis perena in other words arsene lupin the man with the unsavoury reputation whom it would be madness not to think of in connection with so colossal a job thank you that's what they say chief i'm only telling you as long as madame fauville and gaston sauverin were alive people did not give much thought to your claims as residuary legatee but both of them died then you see people can't help remarking the really surprising persistence with which luck looks after don luis perena's interests you know the legal maxim fecit cui prodest who benefits by the disappearance of all the roussel heirs don luis perena the scoundrel the scoundrel that's the word which weber goes roaring out all along the passages of the police office and the criminal investigation department you are the scoundrel and florence levasseur is your accomplice and hardly any one dares protest the prefect of police what is the use of his defending you of his remembering that you have saved his life twice over and rendered invaluable services to the police which he is the first to appreciate what is the use of his going to the prime minister though we all know that valenglay protects you there are others besides the prefect of police there are others besides the prime minister there's the whole of the detective office there's the public prosecutor's staff there's the examining magistrate the press and above all public opinion which has to be satisfied and which calls for and expects a culprit that culprit is yourself or florence levasseur or rather it's you and florence levasseur don luis did not move a muscle of his face mazuru waited a moment longer then receiving no reply he made a gesture of despair 
"'Chief, do you know what you are compelling me to do? "'To betray my duty. "'Well, let me tell you this. "'Tomorrow morning you will receive a summons "'to appear before the examining magistrate. "'At the end of your examination, "'whatever questions may have been put to you "'and whatever you may have answered, "'you will be taken straight to the lock-up. "'The warrant is signed. "'That is what your enemies have done. "'The devil!' And that's not all. Weber, who is burning to take his revenge, has asked for permission to watch your house from this day onward, so that you may not slip away as Florence Levasseur did. He will be here with his men in an hour's time. What do you say to that, chief? Without abandoning his careless attitude, Don Luis beckoned to Mazeroux. Sergeant, just look under that sofa between the windows. Don Luis was serious. Mazeroux instinctively obeyed. Under the sofa was a portmanteau. "'Sergeant, in ten minutes, when I have told my servants to go to bed, carry the portmanteau to 143 bis rue de Rivoli, where I have taken a small flat under the name of Monsieur Lecoq.' "'What for, chief? What does it mean?' "'It means that, having no trustworthy person to carry that portmanteau for me, I have been waiting for your visit for the last three days.' "'Why, but—' stammered Mazadou in his confusion. "'Why, but what? Had you made up your mind to clear out?' "'Of course I had. But why hurry? The reason I placed you in the detective office was that I might know what was being plotted against me. Since you tell me that I am in danger, I shall cut my stick.' And as Mazeroux looked at him with increasing bewilderment, he tapped him on the shoulder and said severely, "'You see, Sergeant, that it was not worth while to disguise yourself as a cab-driver and betray your duty. You should never betray your duty, Sergeant. Ask your own conscience. I am sure that it will judge you according to your deserts.' Don Luis had spoken the truth. Recognizing how greatly the deaths of Marie Fauville and Sauverand had altered the situation, he considered it wise to move to a place of safety. His excuse for not doing so before was that he hoped to receive news of Florence Levasseur, either by letter or by telephone. As the girl persisted in keeping silence, there was no reason why Don Luis should risk an arrest which the course of events made extremely probable. And, in fact, his anticipations were correct. Next morning, Mazeroux came to the little flat in the Rue de Rivoli, looking very spry. "'You've had a narrow escape, chief. Weber heard this morning that the bird had flown. He's simply furious, and you must confess that the tangle is getting worse and worse. They're utterly at a loss at headquarters. They don't even know how to set about prosecuting Florence Levasseur. You must have read about it in the papers. The examining magistrate maintains that, as Fauville committed suicide and killed his son Edmund, Florence Levasseur has nothing to do with the matter. In his opinion, the case is closed on that side. Well, he's a good one, the examining magistrate. What about Gaston Sauverin's death? Isn't it as clear as daylight that Florence had a hand in it as well as in all the rest? Wasn't it in her room, in a volume of Shakespeare, that documents were found relating to M. Fauville's arrangements about the letters and the explosion? And then... Mazeroux interrupted himself, frightened by the look in Don Luis's eyes, and realizing that the chief was fonder of the girl than ever. Guilty or not, she inspired him with the same passion. "'All right,' said Mazeroux. "'We'll say no more about it. The future will bear me out. You'll see.' The days passed. Mazeroux called as often as possible, or else telephoned to Don Luis all the details of the two inquiries that were being pursued at Saint-Lazare and at the Santé prison. Vain inquiries, as we know, while Don Luis's statements relating to the electric chandelier and the automatic distribution of the mysterious letters were found to be correct— the investigation failed to reveal anything about the two suicides. At most, it was ascertained that, before his arrest, Sauverand had tried to enter into correspondence with Marie through one of the tradesmen supplying the infirmary. Were they to suppose that the phial of poison and the hypodermic syringe had been introduced by the same means? It was impossible to prove. 
and on the other hand it was impossible to discover how the newspaper cuttings telling of marie's suicide had found their way into gaston sauverand's cell and then the original mystery still remained the unfathomable mystery of the marks of teeth in the apple m fauville's posthumous confession acquitted marie and yet it was undoubtedly marie's teeth that had marked the apple the teeth that had been called the teeth of the tiger were certainly hers well then in short as mazeroux said everybody was groping in the dark so much so that the prefect who was called upon by the will to assemble the mornington heirs at a date not less than three nor more than four months after the testator's decease suddenly decided that the meeting should take place in the course of the following week and fixed it for the ninth of june he hoped in this way to put an end to an exasperating case in which the police displayed nothing but uncertainty and confusion they would decide about the inheritance according to circumstances and then close the proceedings and gradually people would cease to talk about the wholesale slaughter of the Mornington heirs, and the mystery of the teeth of the tiger would be gradually forgotten. It was strange, but these last days, which were restless and feverish like all the days that come before great battles, and everyone felt that this last meeting meant a great battle, were spent by Don Luis in an armchair on his balcony in the Rue de Rivoli, where he sat quietly smoking cigarettes, or blowing soap-bubbles which the wind carried toward the garden of the Tuileries. Mazeroux could not get over it. "'Chief, you astound me! How calm and careless you look!' "'I am calm and careless, Alexandre.' "'But what do you mean? Doesn't the case interest you? Don't you intend to avenge Madame Fauville and Sauverin? You are openly accused, and you sit here blowing soap-bubbles.' "'There's no more delightful pastime, Alexandre.' "'Shall I tell you what I think, Chief? You've discovered the solution of the mystery.' "'Perhaps I have, Alexandre, and perhaps I haven't.' Nothing seemed to excite Don Luis. Hours and hours passed, and he did not stir from his balcony. The sparrows now came and ate the crumbs which he threw to them. It really seemed as if the case was coming to an end for him, and as if everything was turning out perfectly. But on the day of the meeting, Mazeroux entered with a letter in his hand, and a scared look on his face. "'This is for you, chief. It was addressed to me, but with an envelope inside it in your name. How do you explain that?' quite easily alexandre the enemy is aware of our cordial relations and as he does not know where i am staying what enemy i'll tell you to-morrow evening don luis opened the envelope and read the following words written in red ink there's still time lupin retire from the contest if not it means your death too when you think that your object is attained when your hand is raised against me and you utter words of triumph at that same moment the ground will open beneath your feet the place of your death is chosen the snare is laid. Beware, Lupin. Don Luis smiled. Good, he said. Things are taking shape. Do you think so, Chief? I do. And who gave you the letter? Ah, we've been lucky for once, Chief. The policeman to whom it was handed happened to live at Les Ternes, next door to the bearer of the letter. He knows the fellow well. It was a stroke of luck, wasn't it? Don Luis sprang from his seat, radiant with delight. What do you mean? Out with it! You know who it is? The chap's an indoor servant employed at a nursing home in the Avenue des Ternes. Let's go there. We've no time to lose. Splendid, Chief. You're yourself again. Well, of course. As long as there was nothing to do, I was waiting for this evening and resting, for I can see that the fight will be tremendous. But as the enemy has blundered at last, as he's given me a trail to go upon, there's no need to wait, and I'll get ahead of him. Have at the tiger, Mazeroux. It was one o'clock in the afternoon when Don Luis and Mazeroux arrived at the nursing home in the Avenue des Ternes. A manservant opened the door. Mazeroux nudged Don Luis. The man was doubtless the bearer of the letter. And in reply to the sergeant's questions, he made no difficulty about saying that he had been to the police office that morning. "'By whose orders?' asked Mazeroux. "'The mother superiors.' 
the mother's superior yes the home includes a private hospital which is managed by nuns could we speak to the superior certainly but not now she has gone out when will she be in oh she may be back at any time the man showed them into the waiting-room where they spent over an hour they were greatly puzzled what did the intervention of that nun mean what part was she playing in the case people came in and were taken to the patients whom they had called to see others went out there were also sisters moving silently to and fro and nurses dressed in their long white overalls belted at the waist we're not doing any good here chief whispered mazeroux what's your hurry is your sweetheart waiting for you we're wasting our time i'm not wasting mine the meeting at the prefect's is not till five what did you say you're joking chief you surely don't intend to go to it why not why not well the warrant the warrant a scrap of paper a scrap of paper which will become a serious matter if you force the police to act your presence will be looked upon as a provocation and my absence as a confession a gentleman who comes into a hundred millions does not lie low on the day of the windfall so i must attend that meeting lest i should forfeit my claim and attend it i will chief a stifled cry was heard in front of them and a woman a nurse who was passing through the room at once started running lifted a curtain and disappeared don luis rose hesitating not knowing what to do then after four or five seconds of indecision he suddenly rushed to the curtain and down a corridor came up against a large leather-padded door which had just closed and wasted more time in stupidly fumbling at it with shaking hands when he had opened it he found himself at the foot of a back staircase should he go up it on the right the same staircase ran down to the basement he went down it entered a kitchen and seizing hold of the cook said to her in an angry voice has a nurse just gone out this way do you mean nurse gertrude the new one yes yes quick she's wanted upstairs who wants her oh hang it all can't you tell me which way she went through that door over there don luis darted away crossed the little hall and rushed out on to the avenue des ternes well here's a pretty race cried mazeroux joining him don luis stood scanning the avenue a motor-bus was starting on the little square hard by, the Place Saint-Ferdinand. "'She's inside it,' he declared. "'This time I shan't let her go.' He hailed a taxi. "'Follow that motor-bus driver at fifty yards' distance.' "'Is it Florence Levasseur?' asked Mazeroux. "'Yes.' "'A nice thing,' growled the sergeant, and yielding to a sudden outburst. "'But look here, chief, don't you see? Surely you're not as blind as all that.' Don Luis made no reply. But, Chief, Florence Levasseur's presence in the nursing home proves as clearly as A.B.C. that it was she who told the manservant to bring me that threatening letter for you. There's not a doubt about it. Florence Levasseur is managing the whole business. You know it as well as I do. Confess. It's possible that during the last ten days you've brought yourself for love of that woman to look upon her as innocent in spite of the overwhelming proofs against her. But today the truth hits you in the eye. I feel it. I am sure of it. Isn't it so, Chief? I'm right, am I not? You see it for yourself. This time Don Luis did not protest. With a drawn face and set eyes, he watched the motor-bus, which at that moment was standing still at the corner of the boulevard Haussmann. "'Stop!' he shouted to the driver. The girl alighted. It was easy to recognize Florence Levasseur under her nurse's uniform. She cast round her eyes as if to make sure that she was not being followed, and then took a cab and drove down the boulevard and the rue de la Pépinière to the Gare Saint-Lazare. Don Luis saw her from a distance climbing the steps that run up from the Cour de Rome and on following her caught sight of her again at the ticket-office at the end of the waiting-hall quick mazeroux he said get out your detective card and ask the clerk what ticket she's taken run before another passenger comes mazeroux hurried and questioned the ticket-clerk and returned 
second class for Rouen. Take one for yourself. Mazeroux did so. They found that there was an express due to start in a minute. When they reached the platform, Florence was stepping into a compartment in the middle of the train. The engine whistled. Get in, said Don Luis, hiding himself as best he could. Telegraph to me from Rouen, and I'll join you this evening. Above all, keep your eyes on her. Don't let her slip between your fingers. She's very clever, you know. But why don't you come yourself, chief? It would be much better. Out of the question. The train doesn't stop before Rouen, and I couldn't be back till this evening. The meeting at the prefect's is at five o'clock. And you insist on going? More than ever. There, jump in. He pushed him into one of the end carriages. The train started and soon disappeared in the tunnel. Then Don Luis flung himself on a bench in a waiting-room and remained there for two hours, pretending to read the newspapers. But his eyes wandered, and his mind was haunted by the agonizing question that once more forced itself upon him. Was Florence guilty or not? It was five o'clock exactly when Major Comte d'Astrignac, Maître Lepertuis, and the secretary of the American Embassy were shown into M. de Malion's office. At the same moment, someone entered the messenger's room and handed in his card. The messenger on duty glanced at the pasteboard, turned his head quickly toward a group of men talking in a corner, and then asked the newcomer, "'Have you an appointment, sir?' "'It's not necessary. Just say that I'm here, Don Luis Perena.'" End of chapter 15, part 1